0: Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. Good Good morning. Hey, thanks. I appreciate that. If I walk out into the house and I say something to my wife and she doesn't respond to me, I think something's wrong. And I do the same thing with you guys. So thanks for that. Letting me know everything's okay. Usually when she doesn't respond, there is something wrong. Um, it's usually nothing. <laughs> Nothing's wrong. She's in the bathroom I'm trying to get this out quickly before she comes back in. Um, how are you guys? Good? Yeah? I um, just want to say welcome. Thank you guys so much for coming. Is anyone here it's the very first time coming to Outreach Church? Anybody? No, no, no. That was a false hand. Oh, one hand. All right. Thank you very much. Listen, don't worry. We're not going to call you up here or do anything like that. Um, we do that at the end of the service. So when I start wrapping up, you might, no, I'm just kidding. We don't do that. Um, but thanks for coming. We're really glad that you're here and thank you for coming and worshiping with us and, and adding who you are to what God's doing here. We think that um, church is so much more than just some place that we come like little baby birds with our beaks open, that it's really some place we come and, and we give as much as we receive, hopefully, that, that God's speaking to us and through us and we're building relationships with people and that throughout the week we're pouring into each other and we're, we're talking to each other and when we have challenges we can go to each other and, and, and strengthen each other and bear each other up and, and all those things. So this is really just a, a point of us all coming together and celebrating what God's doing in us and through us and who we are Monday through Saturday. Um, if this is the highlight of our walk with God, then our weeks are really, really, really dull and empty. Right. If, if this is like the weekly highlight, if this is the weekly time that you spend with Him, if this is the most you hear from God during the week, it's on Sunday morning for two hours or two and a half when I get long-winded, then your relationship with God is, is, is drying out. Yeah. It is. It is. There's just no way because the world is speaking constantly. The world is constantly speaking in your ear. Pressures and when you go to work and school and friends and situations and circumstances and financial stuff and social stuff and everything that we consume is constantly speaking something to us and if all we're hearing is a little bit on Sunday morning and letting the world speak the rest of us, uh, the rest of it to us the rest of this week, then, then something's wrong and you're probably not going exactly where you want to go with God. And your relationships probably drying up and it might be getting even a little stale. So I just want to encourage you guys that we love that you come here on Sunday mornings and worship with us. That we love that we gather together. I love seeing people before and after the service praying with each other. I love when someone gets a word from God during the service and shares it with everybody. And I love all of that stuff. But even more important than that is what makes that possible. And that's spending time with him, being in his presence, abiding in him during the week so that Sunday morning it's not an act. And it's not a rescue mission. You don't come here needing to be rescued every week That hopefully you come in every week Understanding how you've been rescued from Who you've been made to be And yeah there's probably weeks when you come in And you need encouragement right Like life speaks and and circumstances speak And things happen and there's probably weeks Where you do come in here And you just really need to hear from God You really need a word from somebody Or there's something that you need that, That God wants to give you And that's awesome and that's great And thankfully there's people here Who are in position and willing and obedient To do that kind of stuff But if it's every single week You barely make it to Sunday and Sunday pumps you up and then every week you barely make it back again on Sunday to where you were with God, then probably something's missing during the week with him. There's probably a lack of abiding. There's probably a lack of spending time with him. There's probably a lack of listening for his voice. You know, when you pray that you should always listen at least as much as you talk. The one that has the most to say in the conversation is the one that thinks they know the most. Maybe that was just for me, but if you listen to people have conversations, the one who's doing most of the speaking is the one who thinks they know the most in general, then why is it that when we pray and commune and spend time talking to God that we do most of the talking as if he should do most of the listening? It should at least be maybe 50-50, maybe, maybe it should be 90-10. Maybe that would force us to actually have to stop what we're doing and close our mouths and shut our brains off for a minute and stop the process of life in general, which is always having something to say. Sometimes we talk just out of, out of compulsion to talk. Sometimes we talk out of nervous habits. Sometimes we come before God and we can't just be quiet and sit in His presence because we feel like if we're not talking, we're not doing something. Just come before Him and just sit there. Spend some time. He's so much more committed to talking than we are to hearing. All it takes is us just actually understanding that, believing that, and then sitting before Him and actually listening. He said, "My sheep know my voice; they hear my voice, and they know my voice." And I was talking to someone this week, and I was telling him about that, and he said, "Well, I just I don't know that I have the time to just you know sit like that all the time." And I said, "Man, it, it's not a matter of having the time to get alone, sit in a room, and cross your legs and chant." Or be, be silent, it's that during the day, throughout the day, no matter what you're doing, it's what your attention's on. It's why you can have a conversation with someone in a room while there's seven other conversations going on. It's the one that you've given your attention and your focus to that you hear speaking. So throughout your days, even if you have to work all day and then you have to come home and you've got to be with kids or, or all day long you've got kids that are out on summer vacation and they're constantly asking questions and they're constantly wanting stuff from you, it's not as if you have to go in the room and shut the door. You may have to do that sometimes just to get a moment of peace. Right? But it's not as if you can't hear from God and commune with God unless you get away all alone, all by yourself. Spend time during the day, no matter what you're doing, with your attention focused on Him. And the world may be speaking, but it'll be the one that you've given your attention to that you hear talk. Yes, amen. And what you've given your attention to and what you've focused on is the voice that you'll hear. Amen. Jesus must be speaking because He said we'd hear His voice and we'd recognize it. He must be committed to talking because He talks a lot about being careful how you hear. You notice there's a lot less in the Bible about what we say and there's a lot more about what we hear? I think it's because Jesus understood something. You can't walk through life deaf. You'll be listening to something. You're not deaf. Something will make its way in. Some voice will be speaking. It'll be something you're listening to. And it's the thing that you're listening to. It's the influence that it has in you and it's what you've given your attention to that will determine where you are. Thanks, Mom. So uh, we've been talking just about abiding in the vine and and, and the pruning process of God and the, the being taken away from the vine process. And did that clear anything up for any of you guys Like when you read those? Yeah, when you heard that? A lot of people seem to think that, that, that those were scary verses, and it was almost one of those ones that we knew, but we never really wanted to think about what it meant because it was a little scary to think about either being pruned or removed. But here's the thing, and, and so much of the Bible is like this. Pruning isn't scary if you know the one who's pruning and you're convinced that he's good and that he loves you and that he's for you and not against you. It's only scary if you think that he has his best interest in mind and not yours and that he's selfish and he's greedy and that he's only thinking about himself. But when God's pruning you, he's thinking about you and he's doing what's best for you. And suddenly it becomes a little less scary when we understand that the one who's doing the pruning loves us more than we love ourselves. He's for us and he wants good things for us. It takes a little bit of the scariness out of pruning and, and it's why we can have joy in pruning. And I'm just going to say that again real quick before we move on to the next thing, but do not fall into the trap that you have to live a year of your life or six months of your life or, or two weeks of your life even in a depressed, lacking of joy state and walk around and call it a pruning process. And I'm just being pruned by God and I know it's good, but it's just so hard. No, the joy of the Lord is your strength and you can find joy even in the pruning process because you understand He's only taking things from me that He has no intention of me having in my life. And if it hurts and if it's sad and if it's depressing, it's because I'm trying to hold on to something that's not supposed to be there in the first place. Whether that's a relationship or a habit, an activity, a mindset, a theology, whatever that is that he's removing, if, you're, if it hurts and, it, and it's causing your fingers to get cut and nicked, it's because he's, he's coming with the scissors and you're trying to hold on to the very thing that he wants to remove. Stop. Don't walk around beat up. Don't walk around with a lack of joy and then call it the the holy pruning process it's like a holy depression that we've allowed into the church and we've adopted this and it's become almost expected in people's lives don't let that happen because the joy of the lord is your strength and if you have no joy you have no strength and if you're weak and you don't have his joy giving you strength you become very susceptible to the attack of the enemy So even in the times when he's pruning, there's always a joy in your life. There should always be a joy in the process, and that process can only be joyful if we know the one who's doing the pruning. It's only scary if we don't know him. We're not convinced of who he is and who he wants to be. So Jesus was talking to them, and he made an interesting statement to them, and he said, said, you are already clean because of the words that I spoke to you. And he did this when he was talking about the pruning process, because the word that he used there for prune actually means cleansed. It's the same word in the Greek for the word prune as it is for you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Same word. For some reason, one has been translated probably because of the context into prune, but the root of that word comes from the word that means to cleanse. So what he's saying is, is him who he loves, he cleanses by removal. He cleanses by taking away. And then he looks at the disciples and he says, but you are already clean because of the words I've spoken to you. So it's the word of God, it's him speaking to us, it's his word, it's other Christians speaking into us that actually cleanse and take away the things that he doesn't want in us. So if there's something in your life, it's not that he comes with a machete, he comes with a sword, and the sword is the word. And so someone comes to you and says, you know, God's really told me that you did this. That, you guys, this is why it's so, so, so valuable, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this, but to be in a, in a culture of people that understand that God is still speaking through people to people. To not say, well, that was just for that time. When they stopped writing in the Bible, God stopped speaking through people. No, that's not true. God starts the Word speaking to a man. He ends the Word speaking to a man. And all in between, He speaks from men to men. And He has no intention of stopping that just because the canons of Scripture are closed. It's not going to be a new gospel. It's not going to contradict the Word. But He will speak to you through people. Listen, He wants to speak to you directly, right? He wants to speak to you directly. Mouth to mouth, face to face, the way he did with Moses. But sometimes in our lives, we can't see things in our lives. So when the voice of God comes, we actually think it's the voice of the enemy. And we get confused sometimes, right? And God's trying to speak something to us, and we're saying, get behind me, Satan, yeah, because God wants to do something in our lives that looks so different than what we expected of God or what theology has taught us or what our, our traditions have taught us. And so God comes and that can't be God because it goes against everything that I believe, but it's God trying to speak to us. And sometimes when we won't listen, He'll send somebody else to speak to us. They'll speak through people. Just to encourage you. And sometimes it's just to encourage the person He's speaking through as much as it is you. Because someone walks up to you and says, look, I don't, I don't know if this means anything to you, but I feel like I need to tell you this. And if it's God, awesome. If it's not, I'm sorry, but I can't keep this to myself. And they speak something to you. They should have no way of knowing. And what they're telling you is directly on with where you are. And as much as it blesses you, it blesses them to understand that they can hear the voice of God as well. And so both of you walk away blessed, both of you walk away encouraged, both of you walk away so much more understanding and believing that God is for you and committed to you and loves you beyond what you know. And so Jesus was saying this to the disciples, so um, I, I really started looking into that, and what is he exactly meaning? By, by you're already clean because of the word that I spoke to you, and I, I found a great example, I believe, of this in John 13. If you have your Bibles, open up to John 13. Um, we'll be up in the top half of the chapter. If you don't have your Bibles, if you need a Bible and you don't have one, come to me, find me after church or, or, or find someone in leadership here at the church and let them know that you need a Bible. We'll make sure to get you one. Encourage everyone to have one, not just an electronic Bible too. Have a paper Bible that you can write in and mark in and that you can keep and carry with you and that works even when there isn't Wi-Fi or power. Yes. Yeah. I know it's unthinkable, but the other night we were, <laughs> it's unthinkable. The other night at seven o'clock, our power went out. And it's like, man, you just don't understand how much you take it for granted, you know, and then all of a sudden the power's out and you realize, oh no, you go to flip on lights because you can't see something and you realize, wait a minute, there is no light there. And then you start understanding all the ways you need it. And it'd really be a shame if we had like an ice storm here and power was out for two or three days and you couldn't access your Bible. I'm just saying. John 13, starting in verse 3. In the the context, remember, Jesus is coming towards the end of his time on earth with the disciples before he goes to the cross. And so as you read these last few chapters, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 of John, you see that Jesus had almost an urgency when he was speaking. He almost had this thing where he started to speak more plainly than he ever had before to the disciples. And and he really wanted them to know some things. And so he, he talked really plainly with them. And, and he did some things that he hadn't done during the time that he had been on earth so far. And so in John chapter 13, it says, Jesus, knowing the Father, had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter and he, Simon, said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I, what I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, you, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he had said, not all of you are clean. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that that it's alive, God, that as we go into it and we open it and we read it, that you explain to us, you show us things, God, you speak to us through it. God, that it's not a once and done thing, that every time we read through it, God, we understand more and more of who you are as we become more and more like you. Holy Spirit, I just ask that You speak through me today. That the words I speak would be from the heart of God to my lips for us. That our minds would be open to understand and our ears to hear, our hearts to receive what You have for us today. That that we would become transformed and changed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. That we would look more like Jesus. That we would act more like Jesus. That we would become more and more like Him. I thank You for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's Jesus, right? And he's, he's coming towards the end of His time with the disciples. And they're having dinner. And after dinner, He decides that He's going to wash their feet. So He pours water into a basin. And, and back then, a fo- foot washing was a fairly common thing, right? But most of the time, it would be done by probably the lowest servant in the house. The newest, youngest least responsible servant they would they would pour water into a bowl and then they would go to the people that were at the table and they would wash their feet because a lot of times back then when they were walking they were in dirty muddy conditions roads weren't like they are today shoes like weren't like they are today so when you got to someone's house you would wash your hands and you would wash your feet and a lot of times they would have a servant come and do that for you it was their way of showing you that they honored you they would have their servants wash your feet and so for Jesus to do this was really 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 out of the ordinary it was not common for someone who was esteemed as a rabbi to get down and wash the feet of the people who were following him it wouldn't have even been normal really for one of them to go around and wash the feet of everyone that was there it would have been normal for a servant or someone of a really low position and and so because of this a lot of times when we preach this message what we focus on is Jesus humbling himself and being the servant king that washes the feet of his disciples because he said to them I tell you the truth the whoever wants to be great among you must become the least in the kingdom the son of man came not to serve but to not to be served but to serve and so there certainly is part of that in this message, and I don't want to gloss over that and make light of that, that Jesus was showing that there's nothing that's beneath us in loving and serving each other, that we should never think of ourselves as having a position where where something is too small, too below us, too beneath us, that that I'm too good to do that, And, and that we should humble ourselves and actually serve one another, even doing the things that we would consider to be the lowest of the low for each other. To serve each other. And Jesus was saying and demonstrating that. And that's another thing I love about Jesus. He's never asked us to do something that he himself wasn't willing to do. That's the mark of an amazing leader. Is that they'll actually do the things that they're asking the people that they're leading to do. They don't stand back and shout orders and demand it. They get down and show them what it is to do it. And they do everything they've asked them to do. And just remember that Jesus has never asked you to do something he wasn't willing to do himself. And if he was willing, then how much more willing should we be? He'll also never ask you to do something that He doesn't give you the power to be able to do. No matter how crazy it seems, the ability, the resources, everything that you need to do what He's called you to do will be made available to you. And a lot of times it's not until you start actually doing what He's called that He shows you how. So many times we want it all laid out. We want our resources all ready. We want our Abilities. We want the plan. We want the how, the why, the who. We want all that stuff laid out. And until that stuff's laid out, we won't take the first step. And a lot of times, all that stuff is just beyond the first step. And Jesus is waiting for us to respond in faith. And then He rewards the faith with showing us and providing and showing it. Listen, because otherwise, we're not doing it out of faith. We're doing it out of knowledge. We're doing it because we know this, 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 and this. And while sometimes we do you know, understand all that stuff before we do something, a lot of times Jesus wants us to actually act in faith and do something without having all that stuff straightened out. Amen. That's where faith's required because you don't know. It takes faith. It takes trusting. And like I said, when we understand how good He is, how much He loves us and how much He's for us and how good His plans are for us, it makes taking that first step. It makes saying, go ahead and prune me, God. Search me. Find any unclean thing in me a lot easier because we know and trust the one who's doing it. So, Jesus is, gets down and he does this, and, and he certainly is showing us all of that stuff. But, but, but the part of this that I want to talk about is something that he says to Peter. And he, says, he said to Peter, Peter said to him, Well, never will you wash my feet. And Jesus said, If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. So, Peter looks at him and says, Okay, well, if that's the way it is, then start here and finish there. I want it all. If, if, if washed, being washed by you means having part with you, then I want all of you. Peter was always zealous. Peter was always so after more of Jesus and, and so ready to prove himself. You know, he was at the moment's notice when Jesus said, they're going to come and take me. They're never going to come and take you. I'll never let that happen to you. He was just really quick always to show his, and I, it, I believe it came from a great heart. It wasn't an evil heart. It wasn't a bad heart. It wasn't as if he was a bad person. He just was really, really, really zealous. And sometimes he made commitments that he couldn't keep. Sometimes he said things without thinking. And then later he realized the cost and he wasn't able to repay it. But he said to Jesus, he said, okay, fine. If that's the way it is, then, then, then not only my feet, but my head and my hands. In other words, start here and finish there and wash every part of me. And Jesus looks up to him and says this. He says, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet but he's completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. So what is Jesus talking about? The answer is in the, but you are clean, but not all of you. Why did he point that out? Why did he have to say, you are clean, but not all of you? I believe the reason is so that when we read this, we understand what he was talking about. He was talking about the condition of their heart. Because right before this, in, in John thirteen two, it says, During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, It goes on from there. Jesus, knowing the heart of the Father, goes after dinner and girds himself. So it's already explained that Jesus understands there's something in Judas' heart that's not from the Father, that the devil has planted something in his heart, that Judas, even though he's been with him the whole time, isn't truly a follower of his, he doesn't truly believe everything he's spoken, hasn't put his faith in him. Judas has probably put his faith in money. He was a greedy person. That's probably where his faith lied primarily, was in finances and in resources. And as long as he was with Jesus, there was always plenty of that. In fact, Jesus, Judas was the treasurer, it says he kept the, the, the purse. It's pretty amazing that God made the one man among them that was a thief, the one that was responsible with the money. And it wasn't because he was setting him up to fail. I believe it was Jesus' heart for for Judas to actually grasp what he was saying to him and become changed and actually be trustworthy. It wasn't to expose a thief. God never gives you opportunity in your life to expose a thief. He gives opportunity in your life for you to be able to be changed and become the person he wants you to be. The failure is never his, his plan. It's not putting you in that situation to tempt you. He's putting you in that situation because he sees something in you that if you saw, you'd be able to be in that situation and not fall. Why would God tempt him with that? Why, if he knew that he was greedy, why would he give him the money? Because God saw beyond just the greed and saw who Judas really was and really wanted him to become that. Did he know that Judas was going to stay greedy? Did he know that Judas was going to sell him out? Yeah, he did. That's the crazy thing about God. So many of our efforts are measured out and we do so many things based on hoping that this will happen, hoping that that will happen, and we count whether it was worth it or not based on the person's response. But God, already knowing that Judas would never take the opportunity to trust him, to believe him, and to give his life to him, still put him in that position. Why? Because he loves without expectation of being loved in return. He loves without expectation of being loved back. He loves and without demand of that you change. He just loves you because he loves you. Otherwise, how would Jesus do this? How would He get down? You notice that He, he washes the feet of the man who's going to betray Him. He washes the feet of the man who's going to deny that He ever knew Him. He washes the feet of all the people that are going to scatter. If it had been us, we would have said, I'm not going to do this because you're not and you're not and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And it would have been, why would I do this for you when I know what you're going to do? And sometimes we'll keep ourselves from even doing things because we think someone may not respond. And so we judge that as being Well, that's just smart. I'm not going to do this for them because they're probably not going to. Jesus looked at him and said, I know you're not going to, and I'm still going to do this for you. Not even that there's a chance that you might not. I know for a fact you're not going to. You're going to deny knowing me. I know that for a fact, and I'm still going to do this for you. And that's the difference. In loving selfishly and loving unselfishly. So anyways, Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, but but now you're clean, but not all of you are clean. And this is what Jesus was meaning by this. He was meaning to him, Peter, you've already been saved. You've already been born again. You've already been cleansed from all of your sins because of your faith that you've put into me. And you've confessed me as being Jesus, as being Lord of your life. In other words, you don't need to be saved all over again. There's just some parts of you that are a little dirty that need to be washed. And this is what Jesus is saying to Peter, and I believe what Jesus would be saying to us if Jesus bent down before you and was going to wash your feet. And you say, well, if you're going to wash me, wash all of me. He'd tell you, listen, you're already clean. It's not all of you that needs to be clean. The person that has that bathed is clean, but only your feet are dirty. Why were their feet dirty? Because their feet had come into contact with the world. See, if you take a shower, you take a bath and you, you get it dressed and then you see the mail truck come and you realize you got to put something in the mailbox and you go streaking across the yard with no shoes on and you forgot that it rained and it's muddy. and You go running out to the mailbox and you throw that thing in, you flip the flag up just before the, the person gets there and you go back in the house. Do you have to jump back in the shower and clean every single part of you or do you just have to clean the part of you that came into contact with the part that was dirty out there? And this is what Jesus is saying. This is the mentality that we have to understand is that just because we've come into contact with the world, just because we may have a little dirt on us, just because we may have made a mistake because you might have screwed up or you might have done something, gone somewhere you wish you hadn't, it's not all of you that's become contaminated and don't give the enemy that much credit in feeling like your whole person is destroyed and contaminated because of part of you becoming dirty. Jesus said, listen, it's not the whole person that needs to be cleaned again, Peter. You're already clean. How did Peter get clean? Remember? Remember? In John 15, verse 3, but you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. He wasn't talking about physically clean. He wasn't talking about, well, you've already bathed today, Peter, so it's just your feet. He was using that as an example to let him know a truth that they couldn't understand, and that was this. And the reason he was doing this, I believe, right then was this. Peter was about to screw up really badly. He was going to deny Jesus three times before men. Judas was about to betray him. All the disciples besides John were going to scatter, go back about their business, and leave him behind while he went through the agony of the cross. And every single one of them would have a point in their life where the enemy would come to them and say, you don't have any part in him, look what you did. And I believe Jesus is doing this right now and He waits until right before He goes to teach them this lesson because He wants it to be fresh in their minds and He wants them to understand that just because you did something that caused a little dirt to get on your feet, it didn't destroy what I've already done in cleansing your whole entire body. You were cleansed by the Word I spoke to you. In other words, it's the things that I told you that you believed that made you clean. It has to be the things that they believed. It couldn't have just been the word being spoken. It's why you can sit in church your whole life and nothing change. Because Judas heard the same things that Peter heard, but yet Jesus said that one of them wasn't clean. Why? Because one of them had sat and heard everything Jesus had said, but he never put his faith in it. He never let it change who he was. He never actually made Jesus his Lord. He never actually came down off the throne and let Jesus have his rightful place. And so he said, you're already clean because of the word I spoke to you. But there had to be something on the disciples' end. Otherwise, Judas would have been clean too if it was simply that the word was spoken over them because he was there every time Jesus spoke to the disciples. There has to be a response of faith on our part that leads to God's word doing. That's why Jesus said, you know, I, I say this all the time, but blessed is the man who hears my words and puts them into action, for he will be like a man who built his house upon the stone. The, the man who heard his words and put them into action, and the man who just heard his words both built a house, and both those houses looked the exact same to the outside world. In fact, while everything was going good, you couldn't tell the difference one from the other. Both houses looked the same. And if you walked up and from the outside look, you'd say, oh, that house is the same as that house. They both were constructed the same. They both will withstand a storm the same. They both can withstand pressure of life the same. Everything looks the same. But when those storms of life come, the foundation is exposed. And he said, Blessed is the man who hears my words and puts them into action, for he will be like a man who built his house upon the stone. In other words... Twelve of them heard his words and put them into action. And the storms came, and they were battered, and they were bruised, and the pressure of life came, but they still remained after the storm passed. And there was one whose foundation was on the sand. For all the world watching, he looked like one of the 13 disciples. He looked like John. He looked like Peter. He looked like everybody else. In fact, maybe he was a little more important than some of the others because he was entrusted with the money. He was the treasurer. From the outside looking in, you wouldn't have been able to tell the difference between them until the storm came, until the pressure came. And then you understand there was one who heard his words but didn't put them into action. There was one who heard his words and they fell on deaf ears because he didn't receive what Jesus said and actually put his hope and his faith and his trust in that. And when the storm came, then the house's foundation was exposed. And in our lives, it's the same way that we can sit in church and we can say things and we can do things and we can look for all the world like we're a a house built on stone, just like the ones that really are built on stone. But it's when the storms of life come that our foundation becomes exposed and who we are will be exposed then, not so that we're embarrassed and so that we're ashamed, so that if our house is built on sand, we understand that we start digging a new foundation over on the rock. It's not so that you'll be ashamed and destroyed and lay there in pieces. That's never God's intention for it. If He's exposing the foundation and exposing that part of your life is built on sand, it's because He has a place on the rock that He wants you to be. It's never just to watch your house crumble and laugh. It's always because He wants you to see what, what you have built on so that you'll actually go to the place He has for you and build on rock. And so Jesus is telling them this, and He says, He's explaining that to Peter, right? That he's clean, which, which ties into a lot of things that we've been talking about lately. About understanding how clean and how holy we are before God because of Jesus. That this is a foundational truth, yet you have to understand that you are clean, that you are holy, that you are righteous before God because of what Jesus did. That he really did become sin who knew no sin so that you could become the righteousness of God in Christ. That He really has said that you're holy, that you're blameless, that you're set apart, a chosen race. That God has really spoke those things over your life. And not just hearing those words, but putting them into action. Understanding, okay, if I am holy, then what does that mean? If I am righteous, then what does that mean? If God really thinks that much of me and He's called me that, then something in my life should change as I understand who I am. And we start putting His words into action. God says to Peter, what God has cleansed, let no man call unholy. And Jesus tells us over and over again, but you've been cleansed. I'm telling you, don't ever let a theology, and a voice of the enemy, or your own thoughts condemn you and call you unholy when Jesus says that you've been cleansed. Because it violates a direct order from God that what God has cleansed, let no man call unholy. Why? Because if you think you're unholy, if you think you're dirty, and you think you're unrighteous, then you'll act dirty, unholy, and unrighteous. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And Jesus is wanting them to understand this and get this that, listen, you have been washed. Being washed by Jesus is essential for remaining in Christ. When we stop having our minds renewed by the water of the Word, when we stop having our minds renewed by Jesus, we stop and we stop. Uh, abiding in the vine the way that we were and our connection to the vine starts to shrivel up and die and the fruit becomes less and less evident in our lives. Being washed by Jesus is so essential, so important, right? So, then Jesus says this, you call me teacher and Lord and you're right for for so I am. If then the Lord and teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. I really think this is a lot less about literally physically getting down and washing each other's feet because Jesus wasn't talking about physically washing feet when he told Peter you're already clean because of the word that I spoke to you. So I believe what Jesus was saying was this, listen, if you see that your brothers, if you see that your sisters, if you see other people are dirty, their feet are dirty, that they've been out in the world and that part of them has become dirty, part of them has become stained, part of them has become tarnished, go to them, speak my word to them and wash them and let them be cleansed. Go to them, instead of condemning them and pointing out what's already wrong, I already know I have mud on my feet, I don't need someone to tell me I have mud on my feet, I need someone to tell me how to get it off. I need someone to come with water and bend down like Jesus did and start washing it. I already feel condemned. I already feel unholy. I already feel unrighteous. I don't need you to come along and tell me that what I did was unholy, unclean, and unrighteous. I need someone to come along and explain to me who I am and wash that off of my feet so that I can be clean and see myself as clean and holy and righteous again so that I once again start acting holy and clean and righteous so much of our discernment is aimed toward the negative. You know, people, well, I, just, I guess I have the gift of discernment because I see this, this, and this. If you really have the gift of discernment, you see people for who they truly are. When you see something that's not them, go after it with the Word of God that cleans and ta- takes it away. They already know. You don't have to walk up to a drunk guy and tell him that drunks won't inherit the kingdom of God. Walk up to him and start telling him the things that he needs to know that will fill the hole in his life that's keep, that makes him run to want to drink and causes the pain that he has. You don't need to tell the girl that's out on the streets selling her body that she shouldn't do that because she won't go to heaven. She doesn't believe she's good enough to go to heaven already. What you need to do is tell her about the love of a father in heaven that loves her so much that if she knew who she was in his eyes, she'd never sell herself that cheap. That's how we wash each other with the word. And Jesus said that. He said, I'm doing this to give you an example. And if I do this for you guys, then you ought to do it for each other. If I'm willing to get down here where it's dirty, and guess what happened when Jesus got down and started washing their feet? Where did the dirt go? Where'd it go? Probably some of it got on his hands. He probably got a little bit dirty. It probably wasn't neat and clean. Maybe it was a little bit stinky and smelly. Their hygiene wasn't exactly as good as ours back in that time, right? Maybe it smelled a little bit. Maybe it was really dirty. Maybe there was some infection that needed some extra attention in someone's feet. Maybe there was something deeper than just pouring a little bit of water, wiping with a rag, and walking away. And see, in our lives, we've got to understand there's people out there that all they need is just a little bit of water, but sometimes there's people out there that there's an infection there. There's something that's been there for so long that it's actually attached itself to them, and it's going to take a little more than just pouring some water on. It's going to take a little more than just, come on, man, God loves you too much to let you live like that. It's actually going to take getting down there and finding out what's wrong and doing exactly what needs to be done and saying what needs to be said that goes after the infection that's trying to spread throughout their body. This is what Jesus is saying. See, I, I, I cleaned my golf clubs the other day for the first time in probably eight years. I decided I'm going to start playing golf again. No, no. So when I show up with more wrinkles and less hair, you'll know why, right? Um, but, but I've played golf my whole life. My dad was a PGA pro, and I grew up playing golf. Um, and I, at some point in my life in the last six, seven years, just became too busy or too smart to play golf. And... Recently I decided I got invited to go and I figured yeah I'll go play so I pulled out my clubs and it's been really seven or eight years since I've played and it's probably been maybe eight or nine years since I've actually cleaned them and I thought man it'd be nice I should probably clean these things up right and so I I pull them out and I put the water going as hot as it would in the sink and I took the clubs and I just held them under the water for a little bit and I looked and the dirt's still there and I'm thinking well that's odd. So I took the little jet sprayer, you know, and I pulled the nozzle out, and I started blasting at the stuff with just water, and even then, a little bit of the, wa- of the dirt went away, but most of it stayed on there, and I thought, holy smokes, I'm going to have to really like get down there and start scrubbing these things, and so I started putting chemicals in the, in the water, you know, and I got a big scrub brush out, like a heavy-duty one, you know, and, and put the clubs down in there, and then I burned my hands because the water was so hot, you know, so I had to put some cold water in there, and, and I got down, and I started scrubbing, these clubs. And the dirt started to come off slowly, but I realized some of this dirt had been caked on there for so long it had almost become part of the club. I couldn't even tell where the club stopped and the dirt started at some point. It had been there for so long and it was so closely knit to this thing that it was almost impossible to tell where one started and the other stopped. And I had to really scrub. And then when when it came off and the actual dirt came off because it had been there for so long, there was a stain and I had to really clean to get to the stain. I had to use some abrasive stuff to get to the stain. And then I got them all clean and I put them in the bag. And I played a couple of times and I figured I should probably clean my clubs. And this time I put them underneath the water and I started spraying them with the jet. And they went right back to how they were. It was easy this time because they had just been cleansed. You guys, we're a lot like that. The longer we go without being cleansed by the water of God's Word, without hearing what God speaks to us, without allowing God to wash us and cleanse us of the junk that's stuck to us, some of it's been stuck to us for so long it starts to feel like part of who we are. It starts to attach itself. And even when the the initial dirt goes away, a lot of times there's still a stain there. There's still a mentality there. Someone comes and tells you the truth and the truth sets you free, but because you've lived for so long that way, there's still a little bit of that thinking in there. There's still some shame or some guilt, some condemnation, some feelings of unworthiness or I'm just not good enough that stick around after the dirt's gone that really needs some scrubbing. And that's where we've got to be convinced We've got to be so convinced that God wants us to do this and stick it out for the long haul that after we we scrub and we wash away the dirt and we use the Word of of God and and cleanse each other with the Word of God, that if there's still some staining there, there's still some residue there, that we don't just walk away and say, well, I tried. Well, I did what God said and I washed them with the water of the word and it took the dirt away, but they still think this way. They still act that way or they still sometimes do this or they still sometimes do that and give up on them as if they're a lost cause. That's when it's time to really dig in and start really going after with the word of God in a loving way and seeing them become cleansed and seeing them become whole and seeing those things that look like they're part of their life get washed off. There was some things that were stuck to the club that I thought were part of the club. I honestly did. I almost gave up and left it there. And if I would have done that, something that was not intended to be there would have been left on the face of that club and would have affected that club. If I'd have just walked away and said, Well, I scrubbed hard enough. I tried hard enough. I tried long enough. I did what I thought that I could and left it like that, it wouldn't have got. But I was determined that I was not going to leave anything there that wasn't supposed to be there. And Jesus is the same way with us. He wants nothing left in our lives that's not supposed to be there. And He's not okay with just setting you free. He's not okay with just taking your sin. He doesn't want the stain and the scar and the residue of where that sin was left in your life and affecting you for the rest of your life see that's why he said if you abide in me and i abide in you he talks a lot about people just abiding in him he says if you if anybody that abides in me and then he talks about stuff but every time he talks about blessing there's always that duel if you abide in me and i abide in you why because he's never satisfied with us just giving him our lives And letting him take our life on and take our sin and take our shame and take our condemnation and take our guilt. He's never okay with it just ending there. He always wants us to keep going and actually take his life upon us. See, it's one thing to believe that Jesus forgave me of my sins and took away everything that was wrong with me. It's a whole other thing to believe that he wants to actually come and be put on by me and be taken on by me. And that I become all that's right with him. There's a big difference between the two. And a lot of people stop just at letting him take away the things that that they don't want anymore, the things that are no good. And that's great and that's awesome. But even more important than that is now that those things are gone, you need to take on the things of Christ that are good, that are right, and that are truth, Because that's what keeps you from becoming dirty again. That's why Jesus said, if you cast out a demon and you leave the room empty, it comes back seven times stronger. And some people, I I had one guy tell me, I don't want to cast out demons out of anybody because then they're empty. And people, no, 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 the truth of the matter is, is that when a demon leaves somebody, there always has to be something deposited into them, the spirit of the living God, the truth of who they are, so that when the demon comes back, the house isn't empty. It's full of God. There's no room for it. Comes back with seven of its friends and realizes there's not even room for me. Never mind you, seven. Goes and looks for somebody else. So it doesn't mean don't cast out demons or you're making things worse for them. It means don't cast a demon out of somebody unless you're pre- prepared to tell them the truth that fills them with light, that fills them with truth, that fills them with the Spirit of God so that when the next time they try to get attacked, there's something actually there, not just an empty room. And this is, this is what Jesus is saying to us, right? Like so many times He wants us to know this, that we're clean, that we're holy. He tells them over and over again. He tells the disciples, but you are already clean because of the word I spoke to you. But you've been cleansed. You've been bathed and it's only your feet that need to be washed. Why did he want them to know this? Because he understood if they, could, if they could get this, if they could really believe that they are clean, that they're whole, that once he's gone, they'll actually live like they're clean and like they're whole. And they won't let little mistakes keep them from living the life he called them to live. We've got to be like that with each other, but more importantly than that, first we've got to be like that with ourselves. Once you're washed by Jesus, once you've been born again, once you're a new creation, once everything has passed away and all things have become new, the struggle and the fight of Christianity isn't to try to get somewhere else, it's to remain where God placed you. Right? Like, like Paul's writing, and he says, Finally be strong in the Lord, this is in um, Ephesians six ten and 11. Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the enemy. Stand firm. Stay where you are. Later on in the verse, he says, having done all to stand, stand. In other words, you're not fighting you know onward christian soldiers marching as to war you know we're taking back enemy ground and all that stuff jesus took back all the enemy ground and then he placed you in the very place that he wanted you the fight is not to get somewhere else the fight is to remain and stay where he placed you and that fight is in our minds it's not a physical fight it's not an external one it's in our minds why because jesus said i will give eternal life to them this is john ten twenty eight. i will give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands the battle isn't to stay there physically, it's to understand where we are and to stay there in our minds and believe that that's where we are. Because the enemy in the world can't do that. They can't snatch you from God's hand. They can't take you from that place. So the best that they can do is make you think that you're not there and that you need to do something and you need to fight to get back to where God placed you. But Jesus said that they will sn- never snatch him from my hand. Paul said, having done all to stand, stand. Stand firm against the tactics of the enemy. It's always about staying. It's always about remaining. It's always about abiding. And if the enemy can't move you from that place, then what he'll do is he'll attack your mind and make you think that you've moved from that place. And if you feel like you're not there, you can't live like you're there. And you'll spend your life trying to fight to get back somewhere that you've already been placed by God. And that's the most useless, fruitless fight that there is in this world because you're fighting a battle that's already been won. And you're trying to get somewhere that you already are and you don't understand it if you don't know where you are, you might as well not be there because you can't enjoy it and you can't live like you are. You're washed by Jesus. All of our issues, if we trace them back, come from either not knowing or not believing a promise or a principle of God's word to us. Every single one of them. Look in your own life. I promise you, all roads lead to a lack of knowledge or a lack of belief of something that God has spoken to you or about you or over you. Every single one of them. Any area of your life that you are confident and secure of what God has spoken to you and about you is an area that the enemy has no ability to attack you in and you have no ability to fall. It's the areas that you don't know. It's the areas that become dirty as we walk through this world and the world starts telling us, well, you're this and you're that. We pick up worldly wisdom. We start living ways that are contrary to what God said. Those are the areas that we're susceptible to be attacked. In fact, every problem in the history of the world, all can be traced directly back to a lack of belief or a lack of knowledge of who God is and what he said. The very first time, did God really say, very first attack was an attack on what God had spoken. If there's an area in our lives, should put that on silent. That's my son. <laughs> right? If there's an area of our lives that becomes stained, that becomes tarnished, that becomes dirty, and we start seeing it that way, and we start living as if that's the truth, and we start eventually it's there for so long, we start to believe that that's part of who we are. This could be caused by all kinds of things, right? Like ungodly teaching and belief, right? Attack of the enemy, the world whispering in our ears, circumstances, disappointments and hurt, things that were done or said to us. We can get alone and actually have the Word of God wash us, right? Like, if if anybody ever here, been ever ever been slandered and mistreated? Anyone? Yeah? Right? Like, I remember there was a time in my life, and and it it still happens, right? Like, I, I still get emails sometimes saying that you said this or you did this, and I think, where did they get that from, right? Like, but there was a time when, for a while, there was a lot of stuff being said about me that wasn't true, things that I had supposedly said were taken way out of context or just plain made up, you know? And I started hearing about all this stuff coming back, and I wanted to really fight back against it, and I wanted to set the record straight, and I wanted everyone to know that I hadn't said that, or that if I had said it, this is why, and this was the context. And I was like a gladiator on a mission, and I was going to set the record straight. And then one time I was reading through the Word, and I read this, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. And I thought, Oh, Jesus... So you're telling me that I shouldn't be worried when people say things about me that aren't true. I should be worried when everybody says good things about me. And it washed me. Like instantly, it was like the dirt and the junk and the and the anger and the... All this need to be right and the vengeance and the the desire for justice that I had just left me as the water of the word came and washed me and Jesus Christ spoke to me and said, Roy, don't worry about it when people say bad things about you. The only way to keep everyone saying good things about you is to not say the truth. Because this is how their fathers spoke of the false prophets. He doesn't say how their fathers spoke of the prophets. It was only the false prophets that I spoke well of. And he's just Get alone with him and that, that word comes and it's like water and it just washes all that junk away and I look down and I'm completely clean and I, now I don't even care what people are saying. If they want to believe in untruth, that's okay. God will deal with that. My only responsibility is to continue to walk in love and speak the truth and I'll trust God. God will defend me and that God will take care of the rest. And it was so freeing, like the water of the Word just came and washed me. And it was like, as, as, as everything was, was ripped away, and as everything was washed away, I looked down, and yep, sure enough, there's a foundation of stone underneath my feet that I'm standing on. And it's the Word of God that says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. Another place he told him, he said, listen, if the world hates you, it's because they hated me first. In other words, the world's coming against you because they hate me, and they see enough of me and you to attack you. That's what Peter said. He said, listen, count it all joy um, when you go through struggles and stuff like that and when you're persecuted for His name's sake, not because of sin, but for His name. In other words, when the world looks at you and sees enough Jesus that they want to attack you because they hate Him, be thankful. Actually rejoice in that and say, God, I thank You so much that I look enough like Your Son that when the world goes looking for Jesus, they find me and attack me. And you can take the water of the Word and just wash all that stuff away and rather than yeah. sitting in your room feeling like, woe is me and why is this happening and all this stuff and I didn't do anything to deserve this and all that. Yes, you did. You lived enough like Jesus that the world yeah. decided that it hated you because of it. Right. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with deserving that. And suddenly that washing comes, right? You feel like... Um, you feel like like everything's stacked against you, right? Or you're fearful, you're worried. Turn to Isaiah fifty-four ten. For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you. And my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. In other words, it doesn't matter if the mountains are literally being ripped off of the earth. If if the world is shaking and there's earthquakes and, and, and everything's going wrong, it does not matter if the hills are cast into the sea. If literally the earth starts breaking off and falling into the sea, you don't have to worry that I've turned my back on you and you don't have to worry that I'll forget about the covenant I made with you to keep you in peace. So when pressures of life or things start building up, get alone and read that and believe that God is speaking that to you. And understand that He said that as much for the people who were hearing it out of the mouth of Isaiah, as much as He said it for them, He said it for your instruction as well so that you would hear that and it would do something to you. And suddenly you see that it really doesn't matter what's going on in the world. As long as everything's okay between me and Him, everything's okay. If literally mountains are being ripped off the face of the earth and we don't know where they are, if literally hills are falling into the sea, no matter, in other words, no matter what's going on in the world around you, don't worry. My covenant of peace will not be shaken. My loving kindness will not be removed from you. If you're feeling tired and discouraged, right? Like the world speaks over and over and over again. In fact, good Christian people will tell you about being burned out, right? And, and, and they do it from a good place and a good heart, you know? And, and, and I'm not saying that, you know, you don't listen to them when they say that, but the world is obsessed with burnout, The world is obsessed with why you can't keep that pace up forever. The world is obsessed with this stuff, right? I have no intention of burning out. And it's not because I'm so amazing and I'm so awesome. It's because I believe He has no intention of me burning out. And so I get alone with him, and I read Isaiah forty twenty eight. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow weary or tired, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. You feel like you're getting worn out and you feel like you're getting tired. It's probably because you're forgetting that God wants you to live the life that He's called you to live through His strength and through His power. And you're doing way too much on your own and you're living way too far out away from the vine. And suddenly you have all this strain and all this effort. I I, I do. I have no intention of ever burning out. Because I don't believe He has any intention of me ever burning out. And as long as I stay connected to the vine and as long as it's Him living through me and it's no longer I who lives but Christ who lives in me. If Christ never burned out then neither will I. Get alone and let the water of that Word. You start feeling a little bit burned out. You start feeling a little bit tired. You start feeling a little bit weary. Get alone and let the Word of God just wash you. Read Proverbs 30, verse 4 and 5. It says, Who has ascended into heaven and descended? Who's gathered the wind in His fist? Who's wrapped the waters in His garment? Who established all the ends of the earth? And what is His his name or His Son's name? Surely you know every word of God is tested and He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Just sit alone in your room and think about that and let it wash over you that the one who collects the wind in his fist, the one who gathers the waters in his garments, yeah. wow. that he's the one who's promised that he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you, that he's loved you with an everlasting love, right? Glory. You start missing joy in your life and feeling a little bit blah about life. Anybody ever experience that? Just a lack of joy? Come on, be honest. Okay. Anybody ever here ever lie? Well, I mean, the ones who didn't raise their hands are probably lying, right? So I'm going to just speak to both of you guys at the same time. No, but truthfully, at some point in our lives, if we're not careful, we will get to a place where we live and we just feel kind of blah. Just like whatever, I got up this morning, I'll make it through this day, same old, same old, blase, blase, and then I'll go to sleep, and tomorrow morning I'll wake up and it'll be the same thing. And it's not bad, and yeah, I know, there's people worse off than me, and I could be in prison, or I could be this, or I could be that, you know, and people can tell you all these things, and you can finish their sentences for them, but at the end of the day, you just kind of feel like life is just, (laughs) right? There's no joy there. Come on, be honest. Just because you're not depressed doesn't mean that you're living in joy. Right? That it's not like there's two polar opposites. Either you're walking around going, nobody likes me, everybody hates me, I'm going to go in the garden and eat worms. Or you're, yay! Like, it's not like there's one or the other. You could be somewhere in the middle, just kind of skating through life, just kind of getting by. Right? Not really depressed, but not happy and joyful either. You can find yourself in this place, and if you do, go to the Word of God and start encouraging yourself in the fact that He gives you joy, that He says the fruit of the Spirit that, that the, the life in the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. Righteousness, all these things, right? Like the joy of the Lord is your strength, and he intends for you to be really, really, really strong. So if he promised that your your strength will come from his joy and his desires for you to be strong, how much joy is at your disposal and is available for you at all times? And how much can you just get alone with God and start thanking him for who he is and what he's done and just start worshiping him and watch the joy of the Lord fill your life as you realize. That's why David said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. There's times where you go to God and you say, you know what, God, everything around me right now just looks gray. But in spite of that, I'm thankful, God, that you are. And start calling out everything that he's claimed to be for you. That, that, that you said that I am. And start speaking the word over yourself. And let that word come and just start washing that gray off of you and leaving behind the brilliant colors that God created you to live in. And encourage yourself in the Lord and talk to him. And just encourage yourself. And why is it so important that we do this for ourselves? Because if we don't do this for ourselves, how on earth are we going to do it for other people? And he said, I'm giving you an example, and if I do this for you, how much more should you do this for each other? In other words, if we don't do this and encourage ourselves in the Lord and let the water of the word wash us, how on earth can we go to somebody else and try to do the same for them? You ever see two depressed people try to cheer each other up? (laughs) It ends with them racing for the gun. Right? Like Jesus said, the blinds leading the blind, they both end up in the ditch. If the depressed is trying to counsel the depressed, they both end up even more depressed. Pretty soon they're coming up with plans on how they can kill each other. (laughs) You grab my throat, I'll grab your throat and we'll both just squeeze. or something along those lines, right? Why? Because you, what you have, you give. Jesus said, freely you've received, now freely you give. Whatever you have inside of you is what you're going to give to people. If you're walking around depressed and gray and blah and all that stuff, guess what the people that come into contact with you are going to receive from you? Or they're either going to receive it from you, or they're going to have to run away from you so that they don't get it from you. Or, maybe there's somebody who woke up that morning and was washed by the Word of God and knows who they are and sees the dirt on you and instead of running away or becoming depressed, they walk up to you and they start speaking the Word of God over you and washing you with the Word of God. I think that's the best idea. I think that's the way Jesus wanted it to be and I think that's why He said, I'm giving you an example and if I do this for you, how much more should you do this for each other? If this is what Jesus said He was doing as an example, and what He was doing was washing their feet, but literally He was washing, but figuratively He was washing what had become dirty, what had become stained by the world, because He said, you're clean because of the word I've spoken to you. If Jesus was doing this for the disciples and said, I'm giving you an example, now you go do this for each other, I I believe what He intended was this. He said, I I don't say what I say of my own accord, but I speak what I hear the Father saying. There has to be people in this world who understand that God's desire to speak to each other and through people to people has never gone away. And that every person that you encounter in this world that has dirt and junk on them is only one person being obedient to speak the Word of God and wash them with the Word of God away from them having that stuff removed. That maybe there's a chance, and I'm just going to close up with this, but maybe there's a chance that Jesus said, follow my example. Maybe He really meant I don't say anything to people that I don't hear the Father saying. What if our communication got restricted to that point, that we couldn't say anything that we couldn't hear, right? Like, have you ever heard someone say that to you? I don't know. I just couldn't see them doing that. Do they really mean I physically can't see them doing that? No, the person's not even in the room. What they're saying is I can't imagine because I know them that they would ever do that. What if we wouldn't speak anything that we wouldn't say, "I, I just can't hear the Father saying that to them? What if we got to a place where we, would, we honestly wouldn't speak anything to each other that we couldn't hear the Father saying? If we wouldn't do anything that we just couldn't see the Father doing? In other words, I don't know, I, my, I, this is what I naturally want to do, but I, you know what the truth of the matter is, is I just couldn't see Jesus doing that. This is what I would want to say to them. This is how I would want to respond. But to be honest with you, I just can't hear the Father saying that. Would that change the amount of words we speak in a day? drastically, if it did, then maybe we need to get alone with God and let our minds and stuff be washed by the water of the Word because there's a lot of stuff coming out of our mouths that has no business coming. If restricting ourselves to only saying things to people that we could imagine and hear the Father saying to them would restrict our speech, then maybe there's a lot coming out of our mouth that shouldn't be. Does that mean you can't talk about sports? No? No? Jesus talked about things that were going on in the world at the time, right? Whatever situation he found himself in, he would talk to people, but he would also talk to them about the things that were the most important. And if people can leave a conversation with us impressed with our knowledge of sports or our knowledge of current events or our knowledge of money or our knowledge of science or whatever the case is and have no idea about our knowledge of God, then maybe there's some stuff coming from our mouth. That shouldn't. Maybe there's some stuff that isn't that should be. Because Jesus said, follow me. It's always going to come back to that. If you come to to this church, every message at some point will reference back to the fact that Jesus said, follow me. He loves that we worship him. He loves that we sing songs about him and write songs about him. He loves that we do these different things that we do, but the most important thing to him is the thing he commanded us to do, and that's follow me. That means go do the things that I'm doing and live the life that I live. And if Jesus said, I don't, these things that I do, I don't do of my own accord. I only speak what I hear the Father saying. I only do what I see the Father doing. Then what right do we have living a life that looks so different than that and allowing ourselves to say things that Jesus would never say and do things that Jesus would never do? Maybe we should just get alone this week, all of us, at some point, whatever that is, whether that's while you're at work or while you're at school or. Literally physically getting alone sometime, whether that's wherever it happens to be, and just start asking him, God, wash me. God, I really only want to say the things that I could hear you saying, and I only want to do the things that I could see you doing, and I don't want to walk around doing and saying other things and if that would mean that I hardly speak or I hardly do, something's wrong. If I start holding my life up to that filter and there's not much left, then, well, okay, that's fine, but at least let's start there with what is left and let Him add to it. But don't just keep doing just for the sake of doing. Don't keep saying just for the sake of saying. If not being able to say things that you can't hear Jesus saying cuts down your vocabulary, good. If it reduces your text in half, good it reduces Facebook posts and tweets, good. Because maybe we say so much that when we do have something good to say, it's not heard. Maybe we do so much that when we actually do something that God's calling us to do, it's not noticed. Maybe our lives could use a little bit of pruning. Maybe our vocabulary could use some pruning. Maybe our actions could use some pruning. And maybe God wants to do that in each of us. Because I believe it's His desire if Paul could say, Follow me as I follow Christ, for each of us to be able to say, Follow me as I follow Christ, then if Jesus said, I only do and see, say what the Father's doing and saying, then I believe it's his desire that we could stand before man and say the same thing. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that anytime we want, we can get alone and we can hear you speak, that we can call and you answer, that you are speaking, that your sheep, we can hear your voice, God, and that we do recognize it. God, I thank you that we are clean, that we've been washed, that we became born again, that we are new creations in Christ, that truly everything died and all things became new. I thank you that from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, from the top of each person's head here to the bottom of their feet, that they are cleansed and cleaned by you. God, that if there is any dirt that's tried to stick, if there's anything that's tried to attach itself as we walk through this world and we hear the voice of the enemy and we hear the voice of the world, if there's anything that's tried to attach ourselves, God, I ask that the water of your word would wash it clean. God, that we would be able to walk in this world and see people who've had the the dirt of this world heaped upon them and that we would be able to speak the Word of God that cleanses. The Word of God that heals. The Word of God that restores. Jesus, I thank You for Your example. I thank You for living the life that You lived. And I thank You that as much as You challenged us, You invited us to follow You that You offered for us to be able to follow You. Fully understanding that on our own we couldn't. Fully desiring to give us the ability to do everything that we need to do to follow You. I thank You for that in Jesus' name. Amen.